Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Okay, here we go with back to school today. All oh, those poor kids, they've got to go back to school. Most kids, I don't know, seem to be pretty happy to go back to school. I think generally speaking, they want to see their friends again. I've got one son starting grade 12 today. Wishing him luck today. And remember, if you're behind the wheel of your car today, just be careful around those school zones. Just remember, the kids are back out there today heading back to class. i got Carolyn Brody standing by, BC School Trustees Association. First, let's have a listen to this report now from Global News reporter Richard Zussman. Pencil sharpener. And then we got some crayons. Amber Reed is ready for the start of school. Some Gearing up with everything she needs for grade three. I think I'm most excited to like do like some art because I really like art. Yeah, you see Amber Reed there? She's fired up to go back to school. She really likes art. Okay, let's check in with Carolyn Brody now. Carolyn is the president of the BC School Trustees Association. Carolyn, thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Mike, for having me. Uh, it's, it's the new year and back to school. Yeah, what's going through your mind today with the excitement on day one back to school today? Just as, it, basically, it is a, a super exciting day after two and a half years of things not being normal. I've I, I used a term that I heard lately. It, we're back to the near normal now. And I had the opportunity to be in my school district on Thursday for our opening day. And the excitement was palpable with our staff and administrators. They're excited to have kids back in schools, and I'm sure the kids are equally as excited. A uh, little bit sad about the end of summer, but uh, it's <laughs> going to be wonderful that they have the opportunity to experience school as pretty much as it was prior to March 2020. Right. So when you mention like near normal conditions for school, how do you how what is what is near normal to you? How does that uh, how does that compare to what we've been going through over the last couple of years? Well, we're going back this fall um, with pretty much the uh, same health and safety guidelines as uh, we had after spring break last uh, March. Um, so very similar to uh, schools that way. Um, really what it means is that parents are going to have more opportunity to be in the schools with kids. We're going to see those things that make schools so special, the extracurricular activities, cross-country meets this summer, um, band performances, music, school assemblies, that that the things that make it so wonderful for kids to be in school, um, the ability to be with their friends on the playground and just not have to worry as much. I mean, the message we still have is please um, stay home if you're feeling sick and wash your hands and, and make sure right. that um, you're, you're healthy when you come to school. But we've done everything we can to ensure our schools are safe and welcoming for staff and students. What, what do you say to some, some of the groups out there? I, I suspect maybe this is a minority opinion, but people who would like to still see a mask mandate in place or, or tougher restrictions to prevent spread of COVID in, in schools. You're, it sounds like you're happy that we're getting back to a sort of away from that. I, I, well, I, I, I would say that everybody needs to do what they are comfortable with. Um, yeah. Schools will encourage mask-friendly environments. We will support families that have concerns or are anxious. But the other bit is we need to 
ensure that the kids are having the best experience possible. The ultimate goal is to make sure that they come out of school ready for the for the world, and it, they need to be in the classrooms and interacting with their peers and their their teachers and support staff. Right, and you mentioned some of the the activities that we'll see this year in schools again, which is great. You know, sports, music classes, field trips. A lot of those were canceled, right, in the early days of the pandemic. But uh, a lot of it came back in the last school year, did it not? It did. I mean, we saw, especially you've got a son going into grade 12 or a child going into grade 12. Those graduation events were back in the spring, those important milestones. So we're going to see more of that going forward and hopefully... um, all the, everyone will be able to engage as, as best they can. It's a, yeah. it's a really exciting time, um, and I think it's, it's wonderful to have um, everything back as close to normal as we've been able to uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. Speaking of Carolyn Brody, president of the BC School Trustees Association, day one of the school year. Carolyn, what would you say are the top priorities for school boards this year in BC? Well, really, I think that the top priority is getting back to the learning agenda. Um, the go- goal of the trustee is, uh, you know, the oath we take is to improve student outcomes. So there'll be a real refocus on, on that area with students, uh, as long, along with the work we're doing around reconciliation, equity, um, diversity, and inclusion. So that's where our focus will be this fall and, and really supporting our staff and students as they, um, through these important life transitions. You know, this has been such a difficult time on everyone over the last couple of years, teachers, kids, especially, I think. What about sort of mental health supports for for kids in school? Because we hear a lot about the toll this has taken on young people. Yes, we're very aware of that. Um, that's been a priority since, um, well, well before the pandemic. We've seen uh, the impact of mental health on both staff and students. So that will be something we continue to work closely with um, our board chairs across the province with school districts to ensure that as many supports are in place for our staff and students. And if we can't provide the supports, helping them find the supports they need out in the community. How about the the funding of our school system right now? Are you satisfied with with the funding of schools right now from the provincial government? Hey, I'm, I'm an advocate for public education, and my job is to, to be out there and pushing for more funding for education. But yeah. we are doing everything we can with the dollars we have to ensure that we're um, giving the optimal experience for all our students. Thanks very much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. And my last uh, plug is, much as you said at the beginning, please slow down the school zones to yeah. keep those kids safe. For, for sure. And even today, like for a lot of schools, they don't have a full school day on day one. That doesn't matter. You've got to be ultra aware when you're around those school zones because I think drivers will get a little accustomed to not having kids around there during the summer, and then suddenly all the kids are back. So you just got to be, it, you know, it's a real great heads up to drivers today. Yeah, please. Thank you so much. Back to the show. Let's talk about this real estate market right now. How about home co-ownership could this be the answer for you if you're in the market to buy a home man the prices in this market are unaffordable for so many people so how about this idea you pitch in with some other people to buy a home home co-ownership you do a team up maybe you get together with some friends or family members or relatives pitch in you buy a home Together, I've got Noam Dolgan standing by to discuss this. First, have a listen to this here now. This is Paramel Gosai, who is the co-founder of Husmates, which is an app that helps match people up who want to go in together to buy property. Have a listen to how he describes how this is catching on. 
co-ownership seems to be on everyone's mind. Housing prices are increasing, inflation, gas prices, people's incomes have not met those increases for a long time in the city of Toronto and I'd say Vancouver. Yeah, Vancouver for sure. Toronto and Vancouver is where this seems to be catching on. Have a listen to this. This is Corin Kempster speaking to Global News here. He's a Toronto home buyer. He's thinking about this co-ownership idea. Have a listen. The city has changed a lot in 15 years, and uh, we just simply can't afford a home on our own. So they're mingling, hoping to find a good fit. We've been talking with myself and, and my wife about like what we want out of it, what we're looking for, what our ideal setup would be. Okay, let's discuss this now with my guest, Noam Dolga. Noam is a real estate agent and co-founder of Coho BC, which helps people get into co-home ownership in Vancouver. Noam, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Mike, for having me and discussing this important topic. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's talk about how this works now. So co co ownership. So what do you like? You, what do you do? Split the house? You buy a place, and then someone lives upstairs. The other the other partner lives downstairs. Is that how it works? Or uh, that's one example. Really, there's there's hundreds of versions of this, depending on the housing types and the people's needs and what works for you. So the most common examples include yeah, properties that have multiple suites in it, like a Vancouver Special or an unstratified duplex. So one, you know, one couple or one family would live upstairs and one downstairs. You also see lots of properties across the province that have multiple homes on them. So in Vancouver, that would be like a house with a laneway house. Uh, but on rural settings, you can have multiple homes on the same property. And so everyone can have their own standalone house, but share ownership of the property. And we're also seeing people living collectively, you know, young, young oh. folks who instead of renting would buy collectively and also boomers, you know, retirees and single adults throughout their entire life or single parents who would rather have the, the affordability, the community and the sustainability of living in collective housing. So it happens in all sorts of forms. Wow, okay, that's very interesting. Would you say in the face of this real estate market, unaffordable for many, it's cooling off a little bit, but still for a lot of people, if you're not a millionaire, it's tough to get into this market. Is this catching on? Absolutely. This is huh? this idea of co-ownership, this, this model has been happening for decades. This is not a new concept because prices have been unaffordable for many for decades. But as prices yeah. get more and more out of control, um, Definitely, we see more people teaming up, more families doing this together, right? intergenerational families, uh, more friends coming together because you can just you can get more for your money, uh, usually 20 to 30 percent kind of more housing or a lower price for to an equivalent uh, condo product. And there are other advantages. You get neighborhoods you couldn't otherwise live in. You get to know your neighbors really well before you go into this. You get some of the social connections that come with that. So. There are lots of reasons people do it, uh, but financial certainly is uh, is a driving yeah. factor, and more and more every day. Speaking of Noam Dolgan, co-founder Coho BC, dedicated to home co-ownership in British Columbia. What about let's say someone wants to get into the real estate market as as an investment, but you don't have a you don't have as much enough money to buy a a place yourself? Like, do you find that some people might do a a co-ownership venture just as a way to, I don't know, as an investment in a property? 
absolutely. And this is one of the ways we've seen co-ownership for decades. You know, we've seen people co-investing in vacation properties, people co-investing in investment properties, uh, and people co-investing in, in their friends' properties. Uh, but, but more and more again now, as the, the entry point to get into the market is so high, and so you're also seeing um, you know, crowdfunding sources where you can buy into to real estate at lower entry points. Uh, but we really, the idea of investing in your friend or family's home is one that's really growing in popularity because it's, it's a wonderful investment. You get to support someone you love. You get to have a basically almost risk-free investment because your renter slash co-investor slash manager is – you know, is someone you know, is someone who's yeah. also invested in the property with you, they'll take responsibility for it. Um, so, yes, yeah, so we're seeing this happening on personal scales, and we're also seeing large investment funds starting to pop up, especially in Ontario, not yet in B.C., that will help put down payments um, to get you into, into the market. Okay. Let's say you decide to go for this and you decide to do a, a co-ownership venture with, let's say, another family or a friend. And then down the road, circumstances change. And let's say like one of the partners says, you know, man, I want to get out of this now. I want to sell the place. But the other partner does not want to sell. What do you do then? This is where an organization like Toho and with professionals like myself are so essential because good advanced planning, a deliberative process and with experienced professionals really sets you up for success down the road. Because far too often people just buy a property together and then they get the situation like, all right, what do we do now? So yeah. when you work with us, we work with lawyers, we work with mediators, uh, we work with people to set up a plan from the beginning. What is your timeline? Are you going into this as a three to five year stage purchase or is this your forever home? And then your legal agreement will reflect that. Uh, even if this is your forever home, Circumstances do change, as you said. So what is the system in place to allow both parties some security? The one who wants to leave, knowing that they can get their equity out and they can make the transition, and the one who wants to stay, knowing there's a pathway to uh, hopefully, ideally, allow them to stay. So usually, again, it's always defined specifically by you and your lawyers, but usually it involves kind of a six-month to one-year process where the person says, I want to sell, and the person who wants to stay says, all right, now I'm going to take a few months to try to raise the money to buy you out and stay in my space. Um, concurrently or after that, they can call us up at Coho and say, we have a share we want to sell. I want to stay in my house, but my oh. partner wants to leave. You know, can you find a new investor to buy my share? And we are selling shares and properties across the province right now. We have shares in farmland currently for sale in Duncan and Kelowna, and we have people looking for partners uh, so we do do matchmaking of, with strangers as well. So your first two steps are to try to buy your partner out or find a new investor. And then after right. six months or so, if you cannot find a pathway forward, the person who wants to sell knows they have a right to force a sale. You know, you'll hire mm -hmm. an agent and you'll put the property out there. So it really protects you uh, on that front. And then the legal agreement protects you on other issues too. If you talk about how are you going to, what are you going to do if somebody you know, gets into financial trouble and can't pay their right. bills for a few months? Or what if somebody is just too noisy? Or what if somebody gets married and has 12 kids you weren't expecting? <laughs> you know, how, how do you, you know, what are the basic rules? How do you make decisions? And when we talk to lawyers who do this kind of work and ask them how often people come back to you with problems, they often say, back to us 
almost never. If they properly huh. find a document in advance, we almost never see that. But people who just go into it quickly and then try to figure it out later, we end up dealing with those problems all the time. Yeah, no, you'd have to have your legal ducks in a row here, make sure everything's signed, sealed, and delivered before you go into a huge investment like this. Like You just mentioned something that was going through my mind as well. Like You mentioned a Vancouver special earlier. So let's say you got... You know, it's let's say two couples or two families who decide, okay, let's let's go for this. We'll purchase this Vancouver special. I'll live upstairs. You guys live downstairs. Oh, this is going to be great. And then suddenly you've got, I don't know, you got some conflicts, or suddenly something happens. You're not friends anymore, or you or the one one party's too loud. Then what do you do? Like you you write all that stuff into the contract. You write as much as you can of it into the contract, absolutely. We have you know, enough experience to know what are the major issues that tend to come up. Um, and then we have a housing mediator on our team, so if there are challenges ongoing, you can talk to a professional and help work that through. And then, as we said, we do have the legal agreement as a backup. If it's just not working, what are the mechanisms to allow you right. to buy your partner out or, or to exit the agreement? And you know, every once in a while we hear about news about ownership agreements gone bad, and you always hear about that when there is no agreement in place. Um, and you know, there was a big case recently, and the court decided that the person couldn't sell. Uh, but again, it was because from the beginning they had gone into this with an understanding that this was going to be a forever home. There was not an expectation of sale. They never wrote it into the contract, but they were clear from the expectations. Circumstances changed. Yeah. But the courts acknowledged that the underlying principle stayed the same. Had they had a legal agreement in place that said, if our plans change, here's what we do, none of this would ever have happened. It could have been resolved okay. much simpler. All right. Talking about this real estate market, if you can't afford to buy a home or a property on your own, what about co-ownership? So you pitch in with someone else, maybe a friend, a family member. Could be a total stranger if you sign an agreement you're happy with with both parties. You go into the deal together, buy a real estate property, a home together. My guest is Noam Dolgan, co-founder of Coho BC, co-home ownership in British Columbia. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Daryl in Vancouver. Hi, Daryl. Go ahead. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, Just one little comment. My mom and dad, and I'm 65, came out from the prairies, and uh, they had some friends that came out from the same area, and that's how they bought their first house. They they bought it together and lived together uh, for, and then I guess, I'm not sure exactly how it happened, but eventually they decided to move on and sold it and went on off and got their own houses. So it's not a new idea, and it's probably a good idea as long as you're with like-minded people. Yeah, Noam, what do you, what do you think of that? Thank you. Yes. I mean, we, that's one of the beauties that we do hear wonderful success stories. We now have second generation folks who grew up in co-ownership looking to find their own communities, uh, really proving that it is a, a viable and valuable model, um, either as a stage or for many people for forever. Let's go, to James. Let's go to James on the line of White Rock. Hi, James. Go ahead. Hi. Thanks for taking my call. I just got two questions. I want to know whether or not the co-ownership involves... Uh, two mortgages, one for each party, and what happens as a result of a bankruptcy or a foreclosure? Are both parties like toast, or what's the scoop? 
Good question. No. Yeah. So what, the, the, the two major challenges with co-ownership, one is the exit strategy, which Mike, you've already asked about, and the other one is financing. Um, and unfortunately, under current Canadian law, uh, everyone who is on title is jointly responsible for the entire mortgage. So again, this is where the legal agreement is very important because you need to lay out exactly what the responsibilities are and you need to protect yourself to be able to reclaim equity from your partner if they fail to pay their bills. Uh, and it's not something you necessarily go into lightly at, at 5% down. You want to protect yourself um, you know, with your down payment and buy, the, and, and buy the property itself. But yeah, that is one of the underlying challenges is you will both be on the hook in the end for the, you know, the, shared, the shared mortgage um, and so you need to make sure you've got the equity and the plan to before you get yourself into financial trouble, um, you know, to be able to take back the property, to sustain it till the market turns better, uh, or to right. sell it with still enough profit that you can protect your own interests. Okay, that's a crucial point there, I think, on the financing for sure. So it has to be like a shared mortgage, as you, you couldn't have two separate mortgages on the same property. Not currently. Now, we are working yeah. with trying to promote that to some of the local credit unions and, and institutions mm. to find models where instead of it being a traditional mortgage, it could be a charge that could be individualized. Um, but, uh, yeah, you need to – the property itself protects you um, and your legal agreement mm. and to that well before you get to that situation. Because, again, you right. got to take back the property and rent out the space and, and maintain it or do what you need to do. Squeeze in one more call. Joe and Langley. Joe, you got like 30 seconds here, okay? Hi, Mike. It's Joe. Um, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I did it uh, when I graduated in 2008. Me and two friends, we couldn't get any help from our, our family. Uh, we bought a house in Abbotsford. Uh, it was awesome. We partied in it for about five years. And then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, we all went our separate ways. And uh, after eight years, uh, we all took our 200 grand, and I went and bought a house with my wife. Oh, wow. Okay, so did you have, a, like, a contract or, like, a legal agreement to do that together? Nope. No, we didn't wow. do anything like that. We just went in. We were 18, 19 years old. Uh, wow. And, uh, yeah, we just did it. And it worked out really good. Uh, the housing market crashed there in 2008. Uh, we were happy as clams. We had somewhere to live. Um, and, uh, yeah, eventually in 2016, when it bounced, uh, we sold it. And we all made about 200 grand on it. Okay, thank you for sharing that story. Noam, I'm sure you'd, you'd agree, you, know, you would recommend a legal agreement, though. you got 10 seconds here. Yes, thank you. I mean, yeah, most people do it successfully, but for that yeah. one in a hundred chances that you don't, have your plan, work with a professional like us, and work with a lawyer. We can recommend some great ones. CohoBC.com. Connect with us. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about your condo now and your rights as a condo owner, or maybe you rent a, a condo suite in a condo building. What about those strata bylaws? Do you think they can go too far. Sometimes residents in condo buildings and strata buildings get into bylaw fights with their strata council. Check this one out. The guy who had a toy poodle that he brought into his condo unit in a bag. This was a no pets building. He was fined $200 for having this small dog. He fought that all the way to the BC Civil Rights Tribunal. How about this one, too? A guy had a hot tub on his condo balcony. 
fought that one. The Strata tried to have him remove the hot tub. How did that one turn out? Okay, let's discuss these cases now with my guest, Tony Giaventu, Executive Director, Condo Homeowners Association. It's always great to have him on. Tony, thanks for coming on today. Yeah, good morning, Mike. Kind of interesting decisions, aren't they? Oh, yeah, they really are. These are fascinating, and you've heard a million of these type of stories, Tony, but I find them so interesting. Let's start with the one about the guy who had the, the small dog, the, the toy, mini, I think it was a miniature poodle, and uh, got fined $200 by his strata council because the building was no pets allowed. He argued that he had the dog earlier when they, the strata, it sounds like they had changed the rules. They went from pets allowed to no pets allowed. I guess he felt he should have been grandfathered in, but they didn't. The uh, the civil rights tribunal didn't didn't see it that way. Correct? He lost on appeal. Yeah, and and you know these are kind of difficult situations when pet bylaws change. So there's a rule that applies to pet age and rental bylaws. Anytime a strata corporation adopts a new bylaw. Um, that relates to those any of the existing relationships, whether it's somebody underage, a tenant, or a pet, they're exempt. But the challenge is that this, when the bylaw was actually adopted and when the pet was um, brought in, um, are, are don't coincide time-wise. And so, you know, so the so the bylaw itself. Um, was enforced and upheld. And strata corporations can prohibit pets, but they can't prohibit pets with respect to anyone under the Guide Dog and Service Animal Act or pets that are required for accommodation under the Human Rights Code. So, you know, it's not just as simple as cut and dry that we're going to have a bylaw that says no pets. Um, but but it, does, it does talk about time, the timelines, which are really critical. Okay, that's really interesting. Like, so let's say you were living in uh, a strata building where the law, the bylaw is no pets allowed, but then you get a a guide dog or a service dog. The strata would have to let you have that animal. Is that correct? Yeah, the strata bylaws don't override the um, service animal provisions. And under the Human Rights Code, um, there may be a requirement for pets for other types of service animals um, or for significant medical conditions that can be verified. And strata corporations have to comply with those provisions under the Human Rights Code. There is a requirement for strata to accommodate. So... You know, so strata councils really, it's a tough job. They, they have to step back and they have to look at this. They have to evaluate it. Now, one of the interesting things that I have found out about the two cases between pets and hot tubs is the strata councils racked up a lot of legal fees um, with respect to bylaw enforcement. And you'd certainly want to consult your lawyer at the beginning with respect to is our bylaw enforceable and have we enforced it correctly? And if the person's not complying, don't drag it on for months or years. Get into yeah. the civil resolution tribunal right away. Don't wait for the other party to go to the tribunal. Um, you know, the strata council doesn't need a vote of the owners. They can start the claim in the tribunal to enforce the bylaws. Okay, let's talk about this condo hot tub fight. I find this one really interesting. So this was a guy who put an inflatable hot tub on a rooftop patio outside his unit, the strata council tried to get rid of, tried to force him to get rid of it and said, look, you can't have a hot tub. Hot tubs are not allowed. 
this one got fought all the way to the civil resolution tribunal as well. The condo owner argued that the inflatable hot tub was actually legally furniture. Furniture would be allowed on the patio. And he won. I, I was kind of surprised to see him win that one that the uh, the civil resolution tribunal are, uh, agreed and said, OK, you can have you can keep this hot tub. Is that right? Yeah, but I wasn't really that surprised when it comes down to it. Uh, Strata corporations need to look at their bylaws regularly and they need to look at them from the perspective of a lens where. Um, what would happen under the following circumstances? And I, and what we do as strata councils is we often are really quite general about um, application of bylaws. Well, the same kind of rule of thumb is going to apply with respect to enforcement from the tribunal. If your bylaws aren't very detailed and very specific, it's going to leave the door open for quite a lot of accommodations. Um, and interpretations that aren't necessarily going to make it easy for the strata. If you don't want hot tubs or containers or vessels on building patios, decks, or balconies that have very specific weight loads or um, conditions, um, you need to be very specific in your bylaws about that. You you can't just be general, right? And and the difficult with generalities is strata councils change every year. So what one strata council might have interpreted as as acceptable, the next strata council might say, no, this is not acceptable. And it becomes really subjective. And that's where we get into lots of trouble. Okay, another case here about a Vancouver Strata owner who is charging his electric vehicle, his EV, using a parking stall outlet. There was a fight over that as well. Tony, is is this another one you're hearing about frequently, fights over EV charging? Uh, Well, where the Strata corporations are not willing to consider allowing somebody to do upgrades to the building, even if the person's willing to pay for it all, they tend to go to some desperate measures. But, you know, seriously, buyers don't be getting into a building where you don't know that you can actually install the station or there's one available if you plan on purchasing an electric vehicle or if you have an electric vehicle. Make those arrangements first. There's a lot of the strata corporations across the province are doing their very best to accommodate owners who want to do these upgrades. But, you know, we're, we're kind of like the catch-22 situation right now um, where we're looking at, um, you know, the best method of, of charging in buildings is to get parking garages electrified so it's easily yeah. controlled, the user fees are covered, and everybody can manage within the electrical capacity of the building. One-offs aren't really a great solution because if you do upgrades in the future, they're probably going to have to be undone or upgraded anyhow. So, you know, somebody's charging um, uh, in an outlet might not even meet code requirements, might actually be um, a violation of the fire code, and that's a bigger problem as well. All right. Welcome back. Lots of calls on Strata Bylaws with my guest, Hody Giaventu. Let's go to Gordon in Vancouver. Hi, Gordon. Go ahead. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I joined our Strata Council after a previous council had chosen to change management companies and hadn't thought through the consequences of that choice, which led to our building manager, our living caretaker, who was actually an employee of the uh, property management company. So we lost him. uh, And then uh, we had the consequences of 
you know, services were dramatically reduced. Uh, many uh, owners didn't have a great relationship with the new property management company. So I went on council to try and bring about some change. And one of them was to elevate the cleaning services. The company that came with the new property management really had a very low standard. So in one of the strata meetings, I had been elected president. Um, I brought pictures and images of the challenges we were faced with that the issues with other owners and said, look, I'd like to have a vote on replacing this company. And both the property manager and the people who were responsible for the new property management company uh, were really against any changes. They were really defending their choices they had made. And got it, it became really quite ugly to the point where I actually had to engage a lawyer. Uh, oh. They They went about changing minutes after the meeting and modifying them to try and portray me because I insisted that I wanted to go on record. Okay. How did, as, how did it turn out? How did it turn out? Let's skip to the end of the story here. Yeah, how did it turn so out? I met with the lawyer. He asked for a year. He says, look, if people like you come to me and you give me your side of the story and it's always, you know, much worse on your side. I want to see the real honest sort of send me a year of all your correspondence. I sent it to him. He reviewed it. He goes, actually, you were probably one of the first people I've actually side with. He goes, it's shocking how they behave. He goes, look, you can take this to court. He goes, I think you almost certainly will win. But he goes, do you win? He goes, get back on counsel. Um, continue your sort of tough stands and uh, be pushed to be on record and make force the others to show their positions. Okay, let's, goes, get, let's, let's get Tony's thoughts on it. Tony, what do you think? Uh, yeah, employee relationships with management companies. I think it's, I think it's, important for strata corporations when you have resident caretakers live in um, relationships it, it's always better for the strata corporation to be the employer um, your management company can still process payroll and all of their um, uh, records of employment and everything else but if they're an employee of the corporation and the management company changes you don't lose a really great employee which unfortunately is what happens mm. in those types of relationships uh, it's it's you can easily get mired into tens of thousands of dollars um, of he said, he said uh, legal fees over disputes. But ultimately, you know, you, your community is more important to get unified, um, get your standards, what you want, not what the management company wants. Uh, And if it means changing facilities, changing services or rehiring a resident caretaker, then do it. And the council can take control of it. Okay, Gordon, thank you for the call. Yeah, these things can get ugly and expensive, too. Let's go to Blake in the West End. Hey, Blake. Good morning. Um, I realize this does not apply to a lot of people or they don't aren't able to do it. But twice now, I have bought in the past condos, and I had two dogs, small dogs. One place I had three small dogs, and there was absolutely nothing they could do about it because I bought it right away, and there was no strato council or management but after that was formed that was a different story for other people so the dogs became the condos pets in general <laughs> okay all right thank you for that blake do most how many condo or stratas allow pets typically do you know tony well, the standard bylaws come with a pet limitation to one cat, one dog kind of scenario. And so most strata corporations live with that. 
<coughs> and manage that. Um, yeah. We rarely have pet problems in buildings. It's usually one or two people who um, are get on a rallying campaign that don't want pets because they don't like them or they have issues with them um, or that you have a careless pet owner who's not cleaning up after their pets and causing damage that everybody's upset about. Um, but pets bring a huge benefit to a lot of communities. So, you know, I ask every strata, don't look at what other buildings are doing. Talk to your community. Have an information town hall meeting. Talk this through before you really consider it because there are some significant consequences. Most buildings allow pets, by far. Let's go to Glenn on the line in Langley. Hi, Glenn. Go ahead. Hi. Um, w- what really gets me is this. Uh, you're not allowed to rent out your condo. And, uh, you know, if they would say that uh, condos can rent 50% of the, their units, uh, we wouldn't have a housing problem, but for some reason, they don't want to do it. What's your thought on that? Tony? Uh, well, actually, the um, every building pretty well that was constructed since 2010 has an order developed for rental disclosure, and by far, almost all of those are exempt from rentals anyhow, and that's several hundred thousand units. Um, we actually did a number of surveys in 2018 and just updated them. Um, the... Um, misconception that rental bylaws affect housing is totally false. Um, Housing vacancies in buildings with rental bylaws are generally below 1% um, because people have to live in them. um, Most buildings allow some sort of rentals. Very few actually prohibit them outright. And even family hardship and owner-developer exemptions are still um, included in all of those. So there are still a number of rentals in buildings. The real problem we have are in buildings where we have occupancy rates um, that are very low. So so we have vacancies um, in high-rise buildings throughout the West End, through throughout Metro Vancouver, uh, Victoria, Kelowna, where the vacancy rates in these buildings, all of which have no rental restrictions, are between 17 and 35%. The real problem we have are short-term accommodations because it's much more lucrative for people to use them for short-term accommodations than it is for rentals. Thomas and Burnaby. Thomas, you got 30 seconds here to ask your question. Go ahead. i make this quick. Um, i got a building where the Strata Council has a bylaw that limits the maximum amount of occupants to four people uh, under any circumstance at any point in time. And I'm wondering if that's even enforceable, because what if somebody gets pregnant? What if you have a 50-50 arrangement with your kids? What if there's a family emergency? Tony, we got 30 seconds left for the answer here. Go ahead. Occupancy is going to be subject to what the development occupancy permit was. Um, so I would be checking with the city of Burnaby. Very difficult to enforce occupancy when there are no other issues, such as noise or parking or other types of issues that are going. Um, you know, the occupancy is limited to be able to have a reasonable number of people okay. within a unit. But you're right. You get pregnant, you get married, other things happen. What happens when you add one above the number might be very difficult to enforce it. Okay. Tony, we got more calls. We'll just have to have you back. Thanks for coming on today. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. Okay, you, you bet.